The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, we haven't been doing any COVID daily news podcasts because the NBA has been going crazy, and that's my primary job. But now with the NBA Finals a little bit slower of a pace and, uh, uh, you know, some uh, some interesting news uh, on the COVID front here. I sent out an emergency email to Dr. Carl Bergstrom, who is going to rejoin us again for the third time, which we really appreciate. And we're going to talk about President Trump and the coronavirus. How are you doing, doctor? Oh, it's good to see you or, or to say hello anyway. I guess I don't see you today. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I should do these over, over Zoom, actually. But uh, it's, this, is, uh, this is just cr- absolutely crazy times right now with the president releasing on Thursday night that he had tested positive for the coronavirus. There's an outbreak now at the White House. Uh, just as you've been following this so closely, I mean, maybe the place to start is just, you know, what are some of the prevailing thoughts uh, that you've had uh, about this situation as you've looked at it? Well, I mean, it's, you know, first of all, it's a, it's a shocking and really disturbing situation to, to, uh, that, you know, to find that the president, uh, um, has the coronavirus and, and in fact may not be doing as well as we would like to see. And, uh, then, you know, the second piece of this is just the, the breadth to which, uh, this outbreak seems to have gone. I mean, we've got a reasonably large number of people quite high up in multiple branches of government who have, uh, now been infected. And, uh, you know, that itself is a, a major concern. You know, how was that allowed to happen? And, uh, and how much worse is it going to get? So just to run through it, here's the list as of our recording time here at about 6 p.m. Pacific time on Saturday night. The president, Melania Trump, Hope Hicks, his advisor, Ronna McDaniels of the RNC, plus one of her family members, Chris Christie, Kellyanne Conway. Both of them were maskless in a room with President Trump preparing for the debate on Tuesday. Campaign manager Bill Stepien and a number of senators, John Jenkins from Notre Dame, who got in some hot water for not wearing a mask at the uh, Amy Coney Barrett introduction on Saturday. So we're up to 17 positives now associated with the White House and perhaps with uh, a spreading event that occurred at the Coney Barrett nomination. So I, I guess where I wanted to start is just talking about what you thought of Dr. Sean Conley's presser today about President Trump's health. I mean, I think at this point, um, I find it very hard to know what to believe. I don't want to question Dr. Conley without you know knowing him personally or his background. But at the same time, We've learned with this administration that uh, we don't necessarily get the full story or even a straight story. So uh, could could really go 
either way. I mean, I think it's just to some extent, there's probably just uh, more uh, care being taken with with words than than outright uh, falsehoods, you know, so, um, you know, answering questions about oxygen evasively and so on. Yeah. And the thing that was most interesting to me was his statement that he was 72 hours after the diagnosis so that Saturday morning. So that would have put the diagnosis Wednesday morning. And then he said that, by the way, in prepared remarks, not in response to a question, but actually just looking at, he was looking down at a paper before he actually got asked any questions. And then they had uh, Dr. Garibaldi come on right after him in, in a short prepared statement. And he said uh, that he'd been getting the monoclonal antibodies for 48 hours, which also would have put it before supposedly the diagnosis happened. Then later on in response to a question, uh, Conley says, essentially, let me see if I can find the exact quote here. Uh, essentially, he said, I don't have the exact quote in front of me. I thought I did in my notes, but essentially he said that something along the lines of we tested again on Thursday night and that that's when it was confirmed. So then the White House essentially retracted that. Conley wrote a memo that had a couple of spelling errors in it uh, to to uh, Kelly McEnany saying, that, no, actually, I, I uh, was incorrect. He didn't say he misspoke. He said he was incorrect and in that uh, the timeline that it had always been publicized was right. So in the face of all that, uh, what should we believe? Should we believe that President Trump was essentially diagnosed on Wednesday, which is, of course, important because he then went maskless to a number of events after that? Or should we believe the official party line here? Yeah, it's uh, it's you know it's really hard to know exactly what happened. I mean, the the language of that retraction letter was remarkable. He says, "I incorrectly used the term seventy two hours." Um, I was just you know, curious <laughs> which one of those three words was was used incorrectly. Um, the uh, you know I, you know the, argu the argument was that that was just medical jargon for for the entire you know third day, which would be forty eight to seventy two hour period. Even that would put the uh, diagnosis back to back to Thursday morning, which means that he would have done the uh, um, would have done the New Jersey event knowing that he was positive. Um, so it's kind of hard to tell exactly what's going on. Uh, you know, again, you know the the uh, you know you would certainly not begin uh, uh, experimental monoclonal antibody treatment before having a confirmed positive diagnosis. So if he's been on that for forty eight hours, then that's a very strong indication that uh, that they had a positive confirmed diagnosis by then. Of course, we're approaching forty eight hours since the diagnosis at this point. So yeah. um, you know we're we're talking about sort of when on Thursday uh, did he do that? The press conference was this morning. So uh, you know I think one of the things that really leapt out at me when the original uh, announcement was made was that the the story was that uh, Hope Hicks and uh, President Trump and Melania Trump had uh, all exhibited symptoms prior to any uh, test results. So we had reports of each of them uh, having had various symptoms at, at different stages. Um, and, then the, and then the story was, and then they subsequently tested positive. Now, this is really surprising to me because there's a two to three day pre-symptomatic period in the majority of patients yeah, where, yeah. You're, uh, where you're, you're actually, you've got high enough titer to be contagious, but you're uh, not yet feeling any symptoms. Supposedly, these people are all getting tested every day. Donald Trump 
supposedly getting tested every day, anyone who's having contact with him supposedly getting tested every day. So for the three of them all to have somehow, you know, come up with uh, each had three false positives or something, you know, um, this this is starting to again, stretch the limits of credulity. So you, you sort of wonder what's going on. I was thinking perhaps they hadn't been doing as much testing as they as they claimed. Um, but another possibility is that we weren't giving given straight answers about when the uh, diagnosis had been made. Yeah, on, on that first point you made uh, that they're not doing as much testing as they claim, Chris Wallace revealed that Trump was not tested before the debate on Tuesday, that it was on the honor system. Everyone else uh, apparently was tested except for the candidate's for that. And then when Conley was asked when the president's last negative test was, he he said, as he said this repeatedly into a number of questions, so I'm not going to go into specifics on that, uh, but he is tested, quote unquote, routinely, which of course could mean absolutely anything. And so, so you know, maybe it is possible that he hadn't been tested since, say, Monday uh, or something like that. Uh, and the president has previously said, well, I don't wear a mask because Everyone around me is tested, and perhaps he had a, a similar approach to, well, I don't need to be tested because everyone around me is tested, and so there's no way that I could that I could have it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be a remarkably foolish thing to do for a man who's been holding indoor public rallies, but uh, I guess that wouldn't be out of the so far out of the norm in this case. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, you know the, the the Chris Wallace's revelation is really also shocking and really disturbing them. And, and it's when you sort of makes you start to think particularly about the national security implications, which you may want to come yeah, back to yeah. as we discuss this. But you've got a situation where you've got the president. Um, he is, uh, you know, by holding this Rose Garden event, you've got uh, members of all three branches of government um, right up at the top there. You've got the you've got the vice president exposed. You've got many people in the presidential order of succession exposed. And now apparently, you know, especially if there is any reason to be concerned concerned uh, about possible infection or a skip test or anything else you've now you've now got the uh, can the opposition candidate for president exposed which is just when you think about the scale of disruption that that can cause to uh, government like the United States it's unimaginable that something like this could happen if you try to put this in you know the same context of allowing some kind of uh, you know foreign terrorist event or something to to uh, take place that simultaneously struck this many people just would be un- unbelievable. It wouldn't happen in the, in the craziest action movie. Yeah, it, it really is uh, remarkable. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it brings you back to like the earliest days of the pandemic when you had like Iranian uh, press conferences with like people clearly symptomatic in the background, like coughing, but that's February, you know, this, this right, is October. Right, right, And there's just, yeah, I mean, there's just this absolute disregard for the seriousness of all of this and disregard for the fact that this is a contagious disease. And so that, you know, not only is there individual risk at the level, you know, at some low level, there's individual risk that any person in the Rose Garden could have been infected. But if there was a super spreader event in the Rose Garden, then you actually would end up hitting a fairly large number of uh, people in the presidential order of succession. Uh, how how nobody recognized that and, and, you know, allowed that to happen, it was beyond me. Well, and furthermore, I mean, because I saw it, I was like, all these pictures of them together outdoors, and yeah, they're crammed together like sardines out there in the Rose Garden in that photo. But then 
also there were events associated with the introduction of Amy Coney Barrett that took place indoors as well. And there's reporting that there was hugging and there was handshaking. And so my guess would be it's more likely perhaps that transmission occurred there, particularly to have like this level of transmission. And people have pointed to, well, everyone in, who tested positive was in the front row. Well, those are the most important people and they're probably all together indoors as well and, that's and probably right yeah i don't have a list on who actually was at the various indoor events so yeah, i yeah. so i don't know i mean i do think that if you have people packed together for an hour at that kind of density outdoors um you're not at, you're not at the same kind of really low risk that we usually talk about when you're socially distancing outdoors and and so yeah. on um yeah that's true i forgot it was an hour that's a really that's a really i don't know that it was an hour i made that up but it yeah. you know it was I mean, these people, these people talk and talk. That's what they do. It must have taken a while. Um, so this is my, I mean, I'm, I'm not Maggie Haberman here, obviously, but this is my theory on what I think happened. Cause you know, obviously I have skepticism. I, I believe that the, what uh, Dr. Conley said in his prepared remarks is the truth rather than the retraction. I think that's more likely to be true. My guess yeah, yeah. So, so here's here's my guess. When I see what you think of this, given just the general reticence of this administration to face up to anything that they believe could be negative PR, my guess is the president's symptomatic on Wednesday morning, and whether he's symptomatic only and is diagnosed that way, or also and/or gets a test, they have an idea at least a, a positive test as of Wednesday morning, but. They are scared to say, okay, we want to be a thousand percent sure. We want to make sure this isn't a false positive. We want to get another test. And, you know, if they're using these Abbott tests, which we'll talk more about, you know, those maybe aren't as accurate. So they wanted to get a PCR test and get that back really quickly and that they didn't do that until Thursday. But of course, because it's this administration, even, you know, with a 90% chance or something that the president uh, was positive, they still let him go out or he himself insisted upon going out and doing these things on Wednesday and Thursday because they were just like, we're not going to announce this until we're 100% sure and we'll just announce it, it, you know, whenever we find that out because they're just too scared of the idea of, you know, if there's even a 10% chance that this isn't true, like, let's just ride with that. You know, that's that that's my my guess. What do you think of that idea? I mean, it's certainly reasonable. Um, you know, I mean, at this point, there's so many different scenarios that could play that could have played out. It's really hard to guess. I think that it's, um, yeah. you know, if you take the it, it, given the entire set of facts around the timing and what we know of who was symptomatic and how many cases there were and so forth, it uh, it's it. It's becoming more difficult to believe the official, like once cleaned up by press release uh, announcements of of what happened. Um, so it, it seems to me that you know there's a few possibilities about where we're not getting the whole story. I mean, one is absolutely that uh, that was Trump was known to be positive, or at least very strongly suspected to be positive, much earlier than we were told. I think that's entirely likely uh now if you know especially if he's really been under monoclonal antibody treatment also the the, the disease progression if he's actually you know at low oxygen oh, yeah. saturation and the um uh and dealing with some of the other symptoms that are described it's not consistent with a um with with testing daily and, and a first positive test on on uh, thursday night so um 
That's that. So I mean, one possibility, of course, is that they, yeah, they know this substantially earlier or have good reason to suspect it. I think the other possibility is just that uh, you know the testing has not been taking place at the level that it's described because people have sort of convinced themselves that this really isn't such a big deal, and uh, and and so or, or or and or have ignored the uh, you know risk of false positives associated with these tests, um, and as a result. Uh, you know, there was a lot of exposure that could have been caught but wasn't, and uh, and then the you know the exposure to the president and a few other key people wasn't caught nearly as early as you would have expected. So, I mean, those, those you know some you know one or both of those scenarios seem quite likely to me. Um, it's disturbing because it's hard to see how you could have a situation where Trump attended that uh, New Jersey event without knowing that he had COVID. Um, and uh, and and you know, possibly you could push that back. You know that that uh, participation in events, well, knowledgeable. You could push that back to to Wednesday, or some people are even saying the Tuesday debate. Though um, I don't think there's any particularly strong evidence that says that has to be true. What's the absolute quickest you could turn around a PCR test? Right, like let, let's say we'll be as favorable to Trump as possible. Right, let's say one a.m. on. Uh, Thursday morning or Friday morning that he tweets it out the moment he finds out that he has a, a positive PCR test. What is the latest that test could have been administered for him to get the results at that time? Uh, Twelve forty-five, uh, so fifteen minutes earlier. I mean, you can do. Oh, uh, so you they, can get they, PCR. In they've got. Well, it's it's not exactly PCR. It's an RNA-based test. They've got Abbott ID now machines in the in the White House, yeah. and so this is the isothermal, uh, very very fast isothermal PCR, or it's not. It's it's isothermal amplification process. Um, so in in principle, that could have been uh, done. You know, almost immediately before the announcement. Um, I think. That's probably unlikely. I do think that the it would make a lot of sense to have a confirmatory test for sure. I would yeah. I would have thought it would be uh, you know again thinking about national security and everything else. I certainly would not want to uh, uh, release information that the president had COVID unless. I had checked at least once more um, with a second test, even though you know, false positive rates should be relatively low with some of the tests, but I would still want to make sure that there hadn't been contamination or mix-up or some other kind of thing given rise to a positive test there. So um, I think it would be reasonable to assume that uh, that was a confirmatory test, not an original positive. Yeah, you would think so. And obviously, you know, they just felt like, hey, even uh, we, we can't, because obviously it would have been news if he missed an event. You know, and so they're 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 too worried about dealing with the fallout of that, and now they may potentially have to deal with the fallout of him having infected a bunch of donors. In, yeah, this is this is Jersey. certainly a risk, right? Right. Uh, so, so I, I want to talk about where uh, President Trump is and what his prognosis is, and amidst uh, all of the non-specifics from Dr. Colley, there's also been some reporting as well indicating that he had difficulty breathing on. Friday, although Conley said he wasn't having that as of Saturday. There's also, it's been reported that he did require supplemental oxygen on Friday before going to Walter Reed. Obviously, he's been hospitalized. There's reporting that part of why he was hospitalized was because they wanted him to be able to walk to the helicopter under his own power with the concern that it might go beyond that at some point in time. Uh, but he, he did do, a, has done a couple of video statements since then and you know, i don't know if i would say he looks spry in those but you know he was uh, apparently still 
you know, had his faculties and stuff like that and wasn't just like desperately struggling to breathe or anything. So, so with all of that, with also the fact that, you know, this is happening in theory earlier in terms of like this severity of symptoms and hospitalizations than you might expect, which is usually, you know, like what, a week after symptoms that you would normally be in the hospital. So that, that was another thing that kind of raised eyebrows, either that this is very severe or that he was exposed earlier than, uh, we might've believed, but given that, given the fact that he's 74, that he's nearing obese, etc. What's his prognosis you think here? As best we can tell, obviously this is requiring a ton of speculation. Yeah. So there's a, there is a ton of speculation, um, in trying to guess around that the, uh, you know, his prognosis, if he were, you know, if, if we ignored the risk factors and, uh, we just looked at his and, and we ignored the, anything about his current condition and we just said, oh, you know, if someone his age gets, gets it, what is the, um, you know, what would you expect? And I would expect actually given the, uh, given the, you know, level of treatment that he'll be receiving and given the, uh, the way that we've gotten substantially better at treating the illness and so on, I'd expect that you know a 74 year old man would be somewhere in say the you know one to five percent uh, mortality risk level a priori. But now we've got more information, um, and so you know once we add on the fact that well he's been hospitalized and has had breathing difficulty, um, that definitely ups the level of concern you uh, they've chosen to use an experimental treatment these uh, this monoclonal antibody cocktail um, on the president of the United States of America which to me indicates that this is not a you know very this is not a minor uh, trivial illness uh, to take to take what it's, it's kind of a you know, extraordinary step in terms of uh, yeah. in, in, in terms of just medical risks on the on the president, or at least medical medical uncertainty. Um, so you add that piece in. Um, you know, there's you know it's a small piece, but knowing that he's had fever, um, you, that starts to make things look worse. You know, early on in the pandemic uh, in, in China, uh, people about his of his age would have had maybe a, a one in three chance of dying. Uh, yeah. but that was. That's a very different situation where the threshold for hospitalization was completely different even than it is now in the United States, let alone different than what it would be for the president of the United States, who's going to be obviously given the utmost standard of care and then monitored extremely carefully. Uh, and so uh, and of course, the, the, the care has improved. And if some of the treatments that he's on are, are indeed effective, that could help as well. So in the end, it's really hard to put an absolute number on how to weigh all these things out. I would have thought, uh, you know, he'd be looking at a, at a mortality risk of, of 10% something in that ballpark. Yeah. And that seems to be you know, on my, uh, COVID-19 Twitter list that I have, which, uh, you're, I'm sure you're a proud member of <laughs> to, to know that, that you're on there, but, uh, you and, and all the other, uh, doctors that I've really come to know and trust and uh, epidemiologists and such, you know, that seems to be kind of in the 10 to 15% range seems to be some of the, the best estimates here. And certainly it's, it's good that he is feeling better, but you know, there's uh, Mark Meadows said on what was supposed to be background, and then the cameras just caught him saying it to the press corps. So they had to admit essentially that it was that it was him. Um, it, the White House chief of staff he said, you know, that the, the vital signs were not good in the right. last 24 hours, and the next 48 hours will be critical. Which again, you know, given the time that we know, and supposedly the symptoms not starting until Wednesday or Thursday, that would be very a very quick decline indeed this, compared this to what? is all very odd because yes right you shouldn't be reaching that point until approximately day 10 of infection right. so um yeah i mean that that does 
push all of this way, way back uh, if you know, give, given that progression. So I mean, that's part of what I've been surprised by is, you know, I really thought there'd be the announcement and then we'd have this waiting period of, you know, three yeah, yeah. or four days to see whether he is one of these cases that, uh, you know, you know basically is suffering kind of like an uncomfortable uh, flu or whether he's one of these cases that is substantially more severe. But instead, we just, as best as I can tell, you know, dove right into that uh, situation of having more severe illness. Yeah. And it would it would be, I mean, again, there are the typical course of this disease. I mean, we, if we had any lesson, it's that this is something that affects so many people so differently. But this would be a rare thing indeed for him to have taken a turn for the worse so quickly and then to have been on the road to recovery so quickly as well to have this all happen so fast it seems uh, not something that would typically be the case yeah i think that's all all reasonable analysis there i agree so i guess the other question too is you know what are the chances of a long convalescence because of course that will affect the political process there's uh, october 15th october 22nd those are when uh the next two debates are supposed to occur simply so continue maybe he could would still be in the hospital as of the date of the election or you know that that he might reach a point of incapacitation where the 25th amendment has to be invoked uh but uh, obviously doesn't end up dying so uh, do you have a, a sense of statistically uh, what the chances of those type of outcomes are where there is a long convalescence involved? I don't have a really good uh, sense of that. I, you know, it, it certainly does happen once you, I mean, a lot of this depends on, on whether, uh, <clears throat> you know, so, I, so normally I would have thought, okay, the president's at Walter Reed, uh, but that doesn't mean that he's like your, your median hospitalized patient, right? I would, I would assume he's, yeah. he's less ill than almost your, your least, ill hospitalized patient given you know given the precautions you're going to take around around the president and 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 given the other aspects of his health um once you start to get remarks like the ones we had from mark meadows and hear about the breathing difficulties and the lower oxygen saturation and the need for supplemental oxygen and all of this then that starts to make him sound a little bit more like uh other hospitalized patients um among that category there are uh, you know i don't want to put hard numbers on it because I don't know, but there are an appreciable fraction that do end up having to go on through a long uh, convalescent period. And, you know, I think uh, there, Mark Meadows is probably right. If, if, if we're at that state of, of disease, we will probably find out fairly quickly whether he's one of the patients that is going to um, end up with, uh, with serious respiratory distress, um, in which case I think you probably are going to be looking at a pretty long uh, convalescence or whether he's one of the patients that's going to bounce back. So I'll, we're running short on time here. And again, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your Saturday night to, to jump on here in, in these uh, extraordinary times. What do you think the chances are Joe Biden was infected? They, the debate commission measured how far away the two lecterns were. It was 12.8 feet. Uh, but, you know, there is some evidence that uh, the virus can spread beyond the recommended. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the six feet, um, the six feet is just a is just a. You've got to you've got to draw a line somewhere, right? You've got to have a yeah, number yeah. that you can give people, and so that's that's sort of you know what I think it is is essentially a compromise um, between between what's going to be completely effective and what is uh, and, and and what is feasible. Um, you know, if we tell people you got to stay twenty four feet apart and you're living in New York City, it's just like you know you're just thinking, screw this, you can't do this. But if you stay six feet yeah. apart, you can give it a go, right? You can try to <laughs> step out into the street, pass on the sidewalk or whatever it is. So you have a you, you know you, tr- you try. 
incredibly meaningful number there. But of course, there's transmission risk at uh, at 12 feet, and and you know they were they were um, debating for a couple of hours. Trump was yelling a lot, and um, <clears throat> absolutely there would be a substantial risk there. Um, you know, I really hope that uh, the president was not aware of his condition at the you know at the time of that debate. Um, and you know, I really hope so. So Joe Biden and Jill Biden have both te- have both tested negative um, several times yesterday. I don't know of test results from today, but I'm sure they're being tested. And so I, so I, I got something on that actually. So he. Biden did, said that he was not tested today oh. uh, as he was leaving an event, but plans to be tested tomorrow. Um, so that would be why the hell not? That is, it's just it's amazing. What <laughs> I just I can't understand some of the things that people do. Um, that's that's crazy. But uh, okay, yeah. So he did test uh, negative a couple yeah. of times yesterday, and and that's a good sign. But you know that was uh, that was less than seventy two hours out. So um, most people are going to test negative with you know for the first forty eight to seventy two hours uh, after infection. So it you know it it certainly makes us start to feel better, but uh, but doesn't um, you know it certainly was not a not a guarantee. And um, you know we want to you know, we certainly want to see a series of negative test results come in over the next few days before we can start to feel safe there. Yeah, I mean, my thought would be if he's negative tomorrow, then you can maybe start to feel pretty good that that he wasn't infected. But Friday probably would have been too early. Right. So so I think I think tomorrow there will be meaningful signal uh, in in a negative test. It won't mean that he doesn't have it, but it will mean. But it will it will that should, you know, if you're Bayesian, that should change your posterior tomorrow, whereas it doesn't really change your posterior all that much. The tests yesterday. Um. Yeah. And so you said substantial. I mean, again, I don't want to try and pin you down too hard in this because no one really knows me. It's a function of how far away he was during the entire time. And were they facing each other? How is the ventilation in the the room where the debate occurred? You know, what kind of dispersion was there? All that. But when you say substantial probability that he was infected, I mean, are we are you talking about 50 percent chance? Are you talking about like Five percent chance. Uh, like pro- a very you know, so I mean, there's there's really there's a couple of issues, right? I mean, one is whether Trump is yeah. is actually infectious at the time, um, right? And we don't know one way or the other. If the uh, if the testing timeline that we've been given about Trump is true, then t- Trump most likely would not have been infectious on Tuesday. And that was initially my uh, reaction was that well, if Trump tested positive for the first time Thursday night, we shouldn't have to worry much about Tuesday. But now there are a yeah. number of reasons why people are are doubting that that's actually true. Um, if we go ahead and assume that Trump was infectious at the time of the debate, uh, which, which of course is a big assumption, but if we do assume that, um, you know, boy, I can't, I absolutely can't put a number on it. But I mean, you're you're in double figures. I don't know if you're fifty percent, but you're ten percent or up. Yeah, that's uh, that's not too uh, amazing. I, I guess the last thing I, I want to close on here is uh, you've focused a lot in your work on testing. And so I want to just give you a a blank canvas to just talk about generally the issue of testing at the White House, how it appears they they were doing it and where things may have gone wrong for them. I don't have a whole lot of um, specific details on who was getting what specific type of test when, but the general story that uh, that I've 
been getting was essentially that the White House was previously using uh, Abbott ID Now machines, which are an isothermal uh, RNA-based test that does rapid point-of-care RNA testing, and um, has recently switched to a new, or at least also brought online, a, a new um, Abbott uh, uh, antigen-based uh, testing machine. And so one thing that's interesting about both of these machines is that they are uh, under their current um, uh, emergency use authorizations. They are specifically uh, described for use on patients who are symptomatic uh, within the first seven days of symptoms. So what that means is that these, you know, the the tests that have been done, for example, with the antigen machines, you know, the the testing that was done to see whether or not it's working uh, was done on patients who were in that first seven days of symptoms, which is, you know, possibly at a very different viral titer than the ones that you see with, uh, um, than you would see with, with pre-symptomatic people. The whole point is that the, the White House testing is intended to be picking up people that are pre-symptomatic uh, bef- and, and helping them detect that they have disease before they even know it and keeping them from interacting with the president. Uh, it looks like they were using tests that aren't actually approved for that particular use, um, which, you know, if, if true, is probably a pretty big mistake. Though, to be fair, I'm not sure if there are approved uh, uh, rapid point-of-care tests that are, you know, have been approved for that kind of use. But uh, one would certainly want to be aware of that and, and account for that in designing a more general testing protocol and schedule for the for the White House and, and those involved there. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, you can ask, well, does this mean that testing doesn't work? We put Trump supposedly in this bubble and did the and did the, you know, use these tests to try to control what was going on. And I think it doesn't mean testing doesn't work at all. I think there's a, you know, a number of things that can go wrong. First of all, um, you know, it could have been that they weren't testing as much as they claim they were, um, could have been. And, and so that's that's one possibility. Another is that uh, there are various, um, you know, arguments from some research teams that the some of these Abbott machines are not particularly sensitive, that you get a high number of false negatives. So it could be that, that, that that's going on. And then, you know, in addition, I think the tests that are, you know, there, there are many different ways in which tests are used. And the tests that we were using, what they were being used for at the White House was really for, you know, testing for what I'd call clearance. So it's to sort of, you know, make sure that somebody's not infected so that they can have a high risk interaction with someone else. So for example, if you go to the dentist, you might want to have a test like this to keep you safe from the dentist and maybe um, the dentist safe yeah. from you, right? Uh, or so, so that would be sort of clearance type testing or an elective medical procedure or whatever. Um, and and that's really different from using tests in the service as sort of general public health where you're trying to uh, test a large number of people in the population just to pick up as many positives as you can, um, but you're not sort of giving any individual a, you know, a certificate of, oh, you're clear. You're just saying, here, we'll do this and we'll do this large-scale screening, which is really you know, one of the things we're talking about a lot as we're talking about using proactive testing as a way to control uh, disease. So I think you know, the fact that we had this failure uh, to keep Trump safe um, using this particular set of machines for clearance purposes doesn't really tell us a lot about the efficacy of the use of testing for, uh, you know, as a proactive measure for general infection control. All right. Well, thanks, Doc. Uh, This is great. Uh, 
amazing to have you on. You can check out Dr. Bertram's book, which came out in August, Calling Bullshit, uh, which uh, hopefully he uh, showed off his skills at, at doing that uh, during this interview. And uh, thanks again to, for taking time out of your Saturday, Doctor. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. Uh, hope things are going well, and, and we'll catch up soon. Take care. So thanks again to Dr. Bergstrom for coming on. I, I had a, a bunch of other notes that I didn't have a chance to get to with him, so I figure I might as well just empty that out now here. Continuing on the subject of the testing and the emergency use authorization and whether it's useful for screening asymptomatics or not, the antigen test, if it is that second Abbott test uh, that they've shifted to using, those are deemed to be less accurate. But part of the idea is that when you really have the highest viral load and you're the most infected, it'll catch that whereas it may not catch it earlier when a pcr would catch lower levels of the virus but the big problem of course and there's been tons of reporting on this washington times or sorry not washington times new york times and washington post in particular that essentially it was all right you get tested and now it's basically a free-for-all you don't have to wear a mask president trump obviously with his comments at the debate and many other comments dismissing of mass reporting that president trump specifically told staffers to take the masks off when they're interacting with him and then the rose garden event as well all the mixing that occurred indoors without masks after that and so to dismiss testing as a strategy the idea is that that's just one part of things particularly these if it's going to be these less sensitive antigen tests and michael mina of harvard has been pushing this quite a bit the idea that in normal society, a big part of reducing things could be everyone using these tests, which are, are cheap and are should it, at some point be available to the general public in large numbers. But this, of course, does show the dangers of simply saying, all right, I've tested negative today. Now I can just go about my day and have close contact with people with no problems. A few other notes on the Dr. Conley presser. I highly recommend watching the video of it because it was highly evasive and probably 60% of the questions were, I'm not going to get into the specifics of that. And it was kind of funny for me to think of, I've had to comb through the bullshit of NBA injury reports and organizations who don't want the truth getting out about how injured players are. This seemed like almost the same thing with Sean Conley's presser and Conley's background is not amazing at this either he has previously claimed that a two-day stint at Walter Reed last year which supposedly was unplanned was just routine testing for President Trump hard to believe that he also gave President Trump back in May hydroxychloroquine at the president's insistence and essentially was like well you know it can't hurt but clearly it seems like Conley is at a minimum very suggestible to President Trump's wishes Maggie Haberman's piece today reported that part of the reason he had to dance around things was because President Trump didn't want it known that he was using oxygen the previous day. And so you have this complete farce where it's obvious that there is basically through process of elimination where, I mean, again, I recommend watching the video where they say, so has he been on oxygen at at any point? And his response is, he's not on oxygen today. That's correct. (laughs) Which was just uh, pretty remarkable. They also said that he's getting daily ultrasounds getting daily lab work he refused to go into the specifics of those conley did one way that the severity of COVID 19 has been evaluated is through chest x-rays we haven't heard anything about that to just see if you kind of get that glassy lung on film 
that's that obviously would be an indicator that uh, things are taking a turn for the worse so as i said with dr bergstrom my best guess is that the 72 hour timeline as far as president trump being diagnosed the the note that he said diagnosed as opposed to tested positive uh that that happened wednesday morning that seems much more likely to me and then the fact that you had another doctor making the exact same quote-unquote mistake seems very unlikely as well and let's say that he did in fact make a mistake i mean how incompetent do you have to be to do that i mean the the most charitable of this is that they were totally incompetent to just not even know when the president was diagnosed and you also consider that obviously Kelly didn't just roll out there without having talked to someone in the administration to get it straight like you wrote the like down what he was going to say on his notes and still managed to screw this up so really it was pretty remarkable and then the the conference ends too with him sort of looking over at the side and basically just like stopping in the middle of a question and just leaving uh i'm not sure whether someone realized like oh if it gets out that president trump actually was diagnosed on wednesday morning and he did all this stuff it's going to make him look really bad and he may have infected some people and that's going to be a disaster who knows um the best most charitable thing that i think you can come up with because generally you would say if you're not giving specifics the assumption is that those specifics are bad but just because this administration has this incredible fear of saying anything that might look weak for a fear of the truth frankly i mean that's been their biggest problem with the coronavirus is you know going back to the early days when trump admitted that he knew that the coronavirus was going to be much worse than he was letting on and he didn't want to scare the public and their misguided belief that it'd be better for them electorally if they just continue to downplay and downplay and downplay instead of actually dealing with this but maybe the best thing you can come up with is if you're trying to be an optimist on what's going on right now and that think maybe things aren't that bad for the president and you know to be clear i don't know that whether they're bad or not but generally not being forthright is an indicator that they could be maybe it's just that they're so scared of saying anything at all that could make things look at all bad that maybe the stuff they're hiding isn't actually that bad but it's just like a little slightly bad and they're just scared of saying even that because that's just how they operate and trump in particular one of the things that some people have said is well this retraction that he had in writing like he's a doctor like he would never lie and put his reputation on the line like that of course that's a little bit of a tautology because if everyone says oh he's a doctor he would never lie then you can get away with lying about it <laughs> so uh, that's that's one issue with that uh, but the other is you know this guy was brought in by president trump he, president trump surrounds himself with people who are going to do what he wants them to do and the people who clash with him end up getting removed so it seems much more likely to me that if you're just looking at the incentives for dr conley his incentive is to do what president trump tells him to do much more than oh man people in the medical community are going to not respect me if i ended up lying about this and he's ultimately doing what his patient the president of the united states wants and told him to do and he's following orders on that it takes it would take a ton of courage for someone in that position to go against what the president wants and i don't know that dr sean conley is that guy as far as the treatment that's going on the monoclonal antibodies the way that they work is essentially almost prophylactic and what they're trying to fill is this void in our treatment where we've got remdesivir which is kind of for patients who are hospitalized early in their treatment and it reduces the recovery time on average from 15 days to 11 and then of course you've got dexamethasone which is the steroid for people who have really severe 
COVID-19, but there isn't anything for the early course of the illness. And that's what this is trying to do. Basically, that these antibodies block the virus from attacking cells and it's almost administered as a prophylactic. And yes, this is not proven, but what he said, essentially, his quote was, it's the president, I didn't want to hold anything back. And again, I don't think anyone has suggested that there's a high likelihood of side effects for these treatments or that it would somehow cause the virus to be worse. But this is an unproven treatment, of course. And many have said, hey, if they're going to this unproven treatment right now, like imagine how bad things might be. I think that's one interpretation. Another one potentially is just that if you are treating the president of the United States and you're this public and everyone knows what medicines you're administering, it's kind of like the NFL coaches who don't want to shake things up by going on fourth down where you've got people who are going to say, well, hey, why didn't you give them this? And so they're like, all right, we're going to give them this. And as long as you believe it's not going to hurt, you might as well throw that in. That's kind of what they're thinking. But the incentive here is to not hold back in any way, even if some of these things that may be unproven and some of the other lists of medications that he's taking as well, there's really no proof that any of those are going to help at all either. Last thing is uh, I've also seen a few people, mostly on the political left, saying that this might be a hoax and I would be very dismissive of those claims with the amount of reporting that's been out there the fact that he's gone to the hospital I mean, just the number of people who would have to be involved in that conspiracy at this point would be completely insane there's also no real motive for anyone to want to do that to be missing time on the campaign trail we know that President Trump is obsessed with not looking weak and so anything like that would be against anything that we know about this president and i mean there have just been a ton of reports indicating that this is true the number of people who have been tested positive already the fact that it looks like this could be tied to a specific event as well which totally this is unfolding exactly the way you would expect a cluster to unfold with the coronavirus so uh, no i i put absolutely no credence in those claims at this point in time and that will do it i can't say when our next episode is going to be but i felt like this is one that we really had to weigh in on and dr bergstrom was kind enough to join us so thanks again for listening and talk to you at some point hopefully in the future till then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.